Section 5 of Lives of the Presidents of the United States in Words of One Syllable. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Bruce McCready. Lives of the Presidents of the United States in Words of One Syllable by Helen W. Pearson. Chapter 5, James Monroe, 1817-1825. James Monroe, the fifth president of our land, was born in Westmoreland County, Virginia, in the year 1758. His father held large tracts of lands in that part of the state, where he grew all kinds of grains and herbs that are found in the South, and was a man of some wealth. As he had means, he gave his son James a good chance to learn at school, so that he did not have to work and teach while there to make what he lived on. When war broke out in 1776, Monroe, though not much more than a boy in years, joined our troops at the first call to arms and at once proved what was in him. He was a brave youth, and it was not long ere Washington made him the head of a part of his troops for the good work he had done in the fight. Monroe fought at White Plains and Harlem Heights and was much praised for his share in what was done there. When the first great fight took place at Trenton, he got his first wound from a spent ball that laid him up for some time. For his brave acts, he was raised to a still more high place in the charge of our troops. At the famed fights of Monmouth and Brandywine, he still held his place as one of the most brave men that went out to fight for our just cause. He was at all times the first man to lead the way to the foe and the last to give up all hope and flee when the tide of war turned the wrong way. Two years from the time he took up arms to save his land, he tired of the noise of war and the clash of arms and went back once more to his old life and to learn law with Thomas Jefferson. He got on well from the start, and it was but a few years from the time he made his start in this new line that we hear of him as one of the first in the land. At his state convention, he would not give his aid to pass the laws, which he said gave too much strength into the hands of the government. Since he took this view of the case, he joined a band of men who held much the same views as the Republican Party of our own times. In 1790, he was made senator for a term of four years. At the end of this time, he went to France to look out for our rights there, but he was called back in two years from his work. This was done, it is said, from the fact that he took a part with the Republicans in France and did not tend to that which he had been charged with by our land. When he came back, he was made the head of the state of Virginia and served as such for three years. He was then sent to France once more to buy the state of Louisiana from the hands of the French. He bought this vast tract of land from Napoleon for the sum of $15 million, which was a small price for such a large place, though it was in a rough wild state at that time. Monroe was sent twice to Spain and to England, he then went back to the place of his home life, for he could say with truth that he had well earned a time of rest. 
It was not long ere he was called to take part once more in the stir and noise of the times. He was made governor of Virginia, then one of the first aides to President Madison, and at last, to crown all, he was named for president by the Democrats and got the most votes, which gave him the first place by the laws of our land. His rule was much like that of the man whose place he took, and it must be said that his task was not so hard as some who had held the chair. Peace had come to us. The storm of war was heard no more. The roar of guns was dead. The corn and grass had sprung up on the graves of our men who were slain in the fight, and birds sang once more where shot and shells had brought death. The first thing Monroe did was to pay off the great debt which the war had brought on, and it was not long ere he had paid up to a cent what was due, and wiped the claim out. When this was done, our trade at once grew in size, and our ships, with loads of goods, were seen once more to dot the sea with their white sails. The hopes of all seemed to rise. The land smiled with fields of grain, and the wheels of our mills were at work both day and night. It had been a hard thing at times to get this grain and things from the towns and farms far from the streams or the sea to where it could be sold. For this reason, a long place like a trench was dug all the way from Buffalo to Albany so that the Hudson could fill it, and by this means boats could go back and forth from this place to that with their loads in a much more short way than by land. The first railroad was built, too, at this time, for the same cause. This year, the Indians in the South grew fierce and went in for war. Joined by some blacks, they tried to rob and burn the homes of our folks in the wild parts of the states. General Jackson, at length, with the aid of a small force of troops, made his way into their midst and forced them to lay down their arms and come to his terms. Two Englishmen, whom General Jackson thought had tried to stir up the Indians to fight, were hung by him, and though his foes sought to bring shame on him for this act, Monroe said he had done right. About this time, the King of Spain gave Florida to us, and we in turn gave up Texas and paid a large sum to the Americans there for what they had been robbed of by Spain. Mississippi, Alabama, Maine, and Illinois were made states in Monroe's term, and Arkansas Territory was named. Missouri was made a state late in the year 1817. This was when the famed bill, the Missouri Compromise, came up. The great point was that no one should hold slaves in it when a state. This the South did not like, and fought, not with arms, but by a war of words to make it a slave state, for they feared the North would get too strong if they had all their own way. At last, Congress let Missouri come in as a slave state, but made a law that a line should be drawn in the land, and that north of this line no one should hold slaves. There were but a few slaves held at this time, but the trade grew and grew until all states south of this line held them. All were pleased by the way Monroe served as head of the land, and when the votes were cast in 1820, they chose him for a term of four years more to fill the chair and hold the reins of the state's laws. Two years from this, 
Some states in South America said they would not bear the yoke of strange lands, that they would be free. The United States took part with them in this and held the same views, that they should form a republic of their own. Monroe said in 1823 that they should be looked on as such and that America should not bear the yoke the lands in the old world sought to place on them. This view which he took was known from that day to this as the Monroe Doctrine. In 1825, Monroe left the cares of the state and sought rest and peace and home life at Oak Hill, Virginia. He died on the 4th of July, 1831, in New York, and left a name that may well be placed by that of Washington and Jefferson as one who worked well for the good of his land and fought the brave fight in her hour of need. End of section 5